Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that, um, that you are our living hope. Thank you for the, uh, the reality that uh, we have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance uh, that will never perish, is undefiled, uh, will never fade, and it's being kept for us, that there's ultimately nothing <laughs> that can separate us from your love, uh, not today, not tomorrow, um, not, our, uh, not, our, not even our own sin can separate us from you once we've been uh, declared yours. And God, what an amazing promise that is. So God, I pray that uh, this morning we would uh, make much of you, uh, that we would be reminded, um, profoundly reminded of, uh, of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the ministry of, uh, of reconciliation, the ministry of the Spirit that uh, changed our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And so God, I pray that you would uh, continue the transformation process in each of us, that you began in us at the moment of salvation and that you promised to complete. And God, would you, um, would you bring us along this morning to know more of your glory and to um, understand the depth of our sin and the, uh, and the greater uh, depth of your love for us. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, good to see you. As, uh, as Stephen said, it is a bit of a, a light group this morning. Last night, we had a great service. We uh, baptized uh, two people. Super, uh, super excited for that. It was really a fun service. And this is going to be a great service as well. We get to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper together um, at the end of the service. Um, as Rachel just read, we're in chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 11. And um, Paul is uh, continuing to um, write this letter, uh, the fourth letter that he's written to the church in Corinth that he loves, and, uh, but the church is wayward. Um, um, a majority of the church has turned, they've repented, they're living in obedience, but there's still a minority in the church in Corinth that is um, giving in to uh, false teachers, and they're believing a false gospel message. And so um, I've titled this sermon, um, I Will Be Their God and They Will Be My People. And uh, some of you know my story. I grew up in a tradition that was um, heavy in law, um, lots of law, rules, regulations, standards. And uh, what the more I tried to uh, live up to the expectations of the church that I was a part of, and what they told me God expected from me, the more guilt-ridden I became. I didn't have a way out of this predicament. I didn't know um, how to obey, um, so I dove, actually dove deeper um, into um, what brought me temporal pleasure. It's actually exasperating. You might, some of you might feel this or understand this. It's exasperating being told how to live and not have the ability to execute it. As I continued to sin, my feelings of guilt and shame increased knowing that I missed the mark. Like I knew it. I knew that I was missing the mark and there was increasing shame and guilt. And praise be to God, I encountered several people over the years who were conquered and compelled by the love of Christ, and they delivered the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. These were not perfect people. These were imperfect people, actually, who were compelled to live their lives in submission to the one who was leading them in the triumphal procession. The gospel of Jesus Christ took root in my heart, and the Spirit of God has been transforming me ever since. I'm perfect now. Not even close. See, that's the thing about the gospel. 
is that when the Spirit of God arrests us, he, he, um, our, our heart of stone, is, is as described in the Old Testament, is turned to a heart of flesh. That our old desires to rebel against God and uh, chase after our fleshly desires, we now have new desires. It doesn't mean we live it out perfectly. What it means is we have a new direction. Today, you will be exhorted by Paul's acknowledgement of his weakness and his insufficiency. You'll be encouraged and exhorted and reminded of the all-sufficient power of the Holy Spirit for salvation and for transformation, for living out this life that, that Paul called the triumphal procession. So let me ask you this morning, are you bound up by the law trying to become a better person? Are you bound up by the law trying to become a better person? Let me ask you this. When is good good enough? When is good good enough? If you're trying to be a better person and or live in accordance to all that God commands in the Bible, you may have found it exasperating like I did. You and I don't have the power, actually, in ourselves to live our lives in submission to God's Word. Left to ourselves, we are lawbreakers, not law keepers. So Paul, writing to the church he loves, where the majority are walking in both freedom and obedience to Christ, there were false apostles demeaning Paul, um, that they were, they were ruining Paul's reputation. They were demeaning him by saying that Paul doesn't have the eloquence of speech like we do, and there's nothing special about him. He's just an ordinary person. And in kind of a crazy way, this actually gives me hope that, um, that there are people that are telling Paul that he can't put two words together and that he has an um, unimposing personality. But these false apostles were, were pounding their own chest. They were beating their own drum, um, putting forth their own credentials. And Paul sometimes, and most of the time, he doesn't care about what people think about him. But when there's false teachers that infiltrate the church and start teaching a message that goes against the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, he can hardly stand by. He's like Popeye, who can only stand so much, and then he can't stand no more. He could not sit idle while there were wolves infiltrating the church and confusing the gospel. You see, the gospel doesn't come in the power of men or in the brilliance of the strategies of men. And it also, the gospel of Jesus Christ should never build up the reputation of ministers of the gospel. I've always been a little bit embarrassed when I drive into different towns, there's even one in this city, where, where you drive by and there is a big sign that says, XYZ Church, Pastor such and such. What is that? Who cares? I mean, how about um, the, the church of XYZ and the head of the church, Jesus Christ? So, if the mark and sign of an authentic gospel ministry isn't the credentials of a particular man, and if it isn't the size of a congregation, and if it isn't the size of the staff or the systems and processes that the church uses or their building, then what is the greatest hallmark of a gospel ministry? What would you say to that? Paul has an answer. The greatest mark of a gospel ministry, of a church, if you will, 
is that it, the, the mark is that of the transformed lives of its members. You want to know if the, um, if the church is alive? Look at the lives of its members. It's God's people being transformed by the Holy Spirit from one degree to another. That's the mark of a healthy gospel ministry. It's not the power of a man. It's not the size of the congregation. It's not the systems and the processes. It's not the building. It's God's people being transformed by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another. Therefore, the mark of an authentic gospel ministry is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in its church leaders and in those who they are leading. Listen to how Paul describes his coming to Corinth in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, or chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. He, said, he says this, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did I not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not His power, but the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on, in the wisdom of man, and what one man says, but in the power of God. So today we're going to be encouraged by the Apostle Paul's acknowledgement of his insufficiency and the all-sufficient power of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Paul asks, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? And the answer to that, it's a rhetorical question, the answer is no. So these false teachers are commending themselves. They're beating their own drum, pounding their own chest. And so Paul is going, they're asking Paul, like, what's your letter of recommendation? Why are we following you after all? You, you are kind of weak. And you're always um, um, being afflicted. Why should we follow you? So his, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves? He says, no, but, but a letter of recommendation wasn't bad back then. When Paul would send Titus or Timothy to another town, and people didn't know Titus or Timothy in that town, and they knew Paul, Paul would send with them a letter of commendation or recommendation. So it's not a bad thing, but Paul says, no, we're not commending ourselves. Um, he goes on to say, or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? Once again, the implied answer to this rhetorical question is no. These false apostles infiltrated the church in Corinth, and they're presenting their letter of recommendation to Corinth and asking the church to compare um, their um, high marks with Paul's weak credentials. And we know that these false teachers were emphasized in their external appearance and their external gifting, and they were demeaning Paul because of his lack of eloquent uh, speech, his ordinary personality, and the afflictions that he always seemed to find himself in. Paul was not, didn't appear to be a, a powerful man um, in the world's standards. And he says, you want a letter of recon recommendation? I'll give you a letter of recommendation. Verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Look at our track record, he says. We spent one and a half years with you. We've written three other letters to you. Um, look at our track record with you. What did you see and experience in and through our ministry over the last several years? What did you hear from us in the last three letters we sent? In 2 Corinthians 2.4, he says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. I stuck with you. I didn't abandon you. 
and with many tears, not to cause you pain, my desire is not to hurt you, and to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Paul's saying with that, we don't need to give you a letter of recommendation written on paper with ink. You are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. He's given us, the, the Spirit of God has given us a love so deep for you that we've risked relationship with you in admonishing you in order to see you walk empowered by the Holy Spirit in newness of life. You see, Paul's life and his love and his service for the church in Corinth for the glory of God points to the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. I've got a personal example that kind of goes along with this, that, that Paul is saying that you want a letter of recommendation, just look at the way that I've lived my life um, with you over the last several years. Um, this past summer, um, I preached a particular sermon that caused some angst with some different people in the church. And it probably should have. I mean, I feel like there's some, some places that I maybe went too far with my, with my passion. And there were people that were upset. And uh, there were people that were actually leaving the church. And, um, and one of the pastors, all the pastors stood in the gap for me. And one of the pastors used these words as he spoke to some people that were um, judging um, my ministry based on one sermon. He says that you, you can't judge any one of us based on one conversation or one sermon. You've got to look at the scope of the ministry. You've got to look at the sermons in whole. You've got to look at the way that people have been loved and served. This is what this one pastor said. I don't know if it's true or not. But I really appreciated that because we can all beat ourselves up for one bad conversation or one moment of anger or one bad sermon in my case. It wasn't all that bad, by the way. But we got to, Paul's saying, he says, he says I'm not going to give you a letter of recommendation. Look at the scope of my ministry, the way that I've loved you and I've lived with you over the last several years. And then verse 3 says this. He goes, furthermore, let me, you want more? You want another letter of recommendation? Verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Empowered by the spirit of God, we, Paul says, we faithfully deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ. We deliver the only news that would transform rebellious dead hearts into, into hearts of flesh. You, church, he said, are my letter. Your life is my letter. You need a letter of recommendation? Anybody need a letter of recommendation? Look at your life. You've been made alive by the power of the Spirit through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we faithfully delivered to you. And then he ends verse 3 with a, with a few strange words. He says, but not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You've been changed not by adherence to some law, but by faith in the perfect law keeper. Paul is contrasting here the ministry of Moses representing the old covenant with the ministry of the Holy Spirit representing the new covenant. The ministry of Moses in its most simple form is when Moses received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. You can see that in Exodus chapter 20 and chapters 32 through 34. So in the following verses, Paul's going to make some striking contrasts between the tablets of stone given to renew the old covenant and tablets of the human heart um, in the new covenant. 
He said, here's some of the things he's going to say. The letter kills. The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The law is the ministry of death in the ministry of com- uh, condemnation. The Spirit, on the other hand, uh, is the ministry of righteousness. And get this, the, the ministry of death, the law, and the ministry of righteousness, the Spirit, he calls them both glorious. That's going to, and it's, it, it blows my mind, but it is so beautiful. The glory of the law, he says, is being brought to an end, but the glory of the Spirit is permanent. And we're going to kind of explain this as we go along. The law, the law wasn't given. The Ten Commandments was not given to simply help people um, live a better, safer, healthier life. And I'm going to say this. My wife, I said it last night. My wife kind of warned me um, to, like, you know, just be careful with this. So I, I heeded her advice, but I feel like I still want to say this it, because it's true. Like, like, what is the Ten Commandments? How helpful is the Ten Commandments for our culture as a whole? And I would say this, just spoiler alert, that the Ten Commandments um, or the law have no value without combining it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, um, like, I don't know why I would ever want or, or like lose sleep over or um, write a politician or write my school district to have the Ten Commandments on the walls of the school. Why would I just want to moralize the kids? Unless somebody can actually um, tell them what the purpose of the law is. Spoiler alert. It's to lead them, to show them their need for a Savior. Paul tells us in Romans 7 that the law was given us to show us our sin. We need to know that we fall short of the glory of God in order to understand our need for a Savior. Listen to Paul in Romans 7, 8 through 13. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, the law... Produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know we were sinners. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me, Paul said. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, the law. What produced death in me was understanding that I couldn't obey the law, that I fell short of the glory of God. It was sin producing in me uh, through what is good in order that sin might be Sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure, that we can't obey it. In Galatians, Paul writes that the law is a tutor. It shows us that we can't obey it and that we need a different teacher. Keeping God's laws is a requirement to have life with God rather than death away from Him. So the Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets those who proclaim God's word. Old Testament prophets continually called, called God's people to obedience and repentance because they continually rebelled against God's perfect and holy laws. They knew the law. The people in the Old Testament knew it. They understood it. And I would submit to you that they wanted to live in submission to it. However, knowing the demands of the law, as wonderful as they are, provides no ability or power to obey the law. 
The prophet Jeremiah foretold a day that would come when the law would no longer be written on tablets of stone, but on, the, on human hearts that would empower joyful obedience. Listen to Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And might I say that for Gentiles as well? I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is where we live today. That we have, if you know Jesus Christ, you have the law written on your heart. That you have, uh, you have a desire and the ability to live in obedience to God. And we today, we know Him because of God's Spirit. Not just know about Him, but we know Him. Not just know about this God that Moses encountered in the burning bush, but to know Him intimately. The Spirit of the living God dwells in God's people to empower us with a desire and an ability to obey. We talked last week about Romans 12, chapter 1. That where Paul appealed to the church by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to Him. Let that be our spiritual worship. We, we can't do that unless we have the Spirit of God in us. I love this quote from an unknown source. It says, ultimately, what the new covenant brings is transformation. What law was seeking to achieve for Israel is now accomplished for believers in Christ through the ministry of the gospel by the enabling of the Spirit. And foundational to this knowledge is the certainty of justification by faith and of trespasses not being counted against those who believe. All these realities are central to the new covenant being worked out in Christ's church. You see, the law, the law kills the letter kills, and only Christ, by the giving of the Spirit, can bring life. And my prayer is that you are, if you are here today without a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're not trying to earn your salvation by keeping the law. And if you are, you're not trying hard enough. Keep trying, actually, and you will discover what Paul discovered, that it was killing him. It was making him miserable. It's not about doing better or keeping the law. Well, maybe it is at some level. But it's about what compels a growing desire to obey. And I would submit to you, it's God's mercy. What compels you? If you know Jesus Christ, what compels you to obey Jesus Christ? To obey the law? And I would submit to you that it's God's mercy. All the law can do is condemn and frustrate you. It can't extend mercy. John Bunyan said this in his uh, wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read Pilgrim's Progress? Just if you haven't read it, I'd pick it up. It's been around uh, for decades, and it's phenomenal. 
And Don Bunyan, I'm going to read just a, an excerpt from this where, where he speaks to um, the dark shadow of the law that couldn't show mercy to uh, one of the characters called Faithful. And Faithful is climbing uh, the hill of struggle, uh, and it represents the struggles of life. So listen to this. This is Faithful. Now, when I had got about halfway up the hill, I looked behind, and I saw one coming after me, swift as the wind. So he overtook me just about the place where the settle stands. So soon as a man overtook me, he was but a word and a blow. For down he knocked me and laid me for dead. But when I was a little come to myself again, I asked him, wherefore he served me so? Why did you do that? He struck me another deadly blow on the breast and beat me down backward. So I lay at his foot as dead as before. So when I came to myself again, I cried, mercy, mercy, have mercy on me. But he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. He had doubtless made an end of me. But that one came by. Another one came by and bid him forbear. I did not know this other one at first. But as he went by, I perceived the holes in his hands and in his side. And then I concluded that he was my Lord. So I went up the hill. And Christian, his traveling companion, said this, that man that overtook you was Moses. He spares none, neither does he know how to show mercy to those who transgress his law. There's no mercy in the law. We need to go to Christ to find mercy in him. There's no mercy in Moses. We find mercy in Jesus, and then we go back to Moses, and we thank him for the law that showed me that I was in need of mercy. The law is the ministry of death or damnation because the law doesn't give us mercy and forgiveness when we disobey it, and it doesn't give us the power to obey it. The law brings death. And this is why in Bunyan's picture, it's so beautiful and true that we need the man with the nail-pierced hands uh, to have mercy on us, to forgive us our sins, and to empower us to live and love as Jesus commanded You see, knowing what the law says doesn't give us the ability to do what the law commands. Staring at and studying God's law, God's word, and trying to understand it and obey it, it's futile without the Spirit of God. How many times have you heard people, or maybe you've experienced it yourself, where like, like I'm reading my Bible like I know I'm falling short. I've got shame and guilt in my life. And, I, and somebody tells me to turn to the Bible and I'm reading it and I said, I don't understand it. And you know why they don't understand it? It's because, because it, they, it hasn't been, um, what's the word? I lost it. Because they don't have God's Spirit. Because they don't have God's Spirit. And they, and, they, and they close it back up again, not understanding what it said, and they go out and they try harder and harder, and guess what? They have no ability and no power to live in accordance to it. That's why God told Jeremiah and Ezekiel that a new covenant was coming that would give us 
a desire and the ability to live in accordance to all of God's good and righteous commandments. You see, there's nothing wrong with the commandments. But they were never given to enable you and I to keep them. They were given us to show us that we can't keep them on our own. Moses tells us what to do, but Moses can't give us the power to obey them. And so Paul, with a broken heart, exhorts the Corinthians that trying to keep the commandments will only bring condemnation and death. Only Christ can bring you salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then only Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can transform you from one degree to another. And it's only by submitting to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we can live a life of joyful obedience to the glory of God. I think it was maybe Francis Chan or maybe it was Timothy Keller. Somebody wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Spirit enough in our circles. But it's the Spirit of God that empowers us to live the life that God has called us to. Listen to this beautiful short poem from John Bunyan again. I think he wrote it about himself. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly, and it gives us wings. You see, there's nothing more exasperating to be told to fly, but not having the wings. And the Spirit of God is our wings. I'm going to jump to verses 7 through 11, and then we're going to finish up with verses 4 through 6. He says, now this ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, the law. Will not the ministry of the Spirit, the new covenant, have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what, was one, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more what will be permanent have glory. Paul is calling the law of God the ministry of death. And then he has the gall to say that the ministry of death is glorious. How can the law be glorious? How can the, the, the one that brings death and condemnation be glorious? Here's why. It's because you need to know that, you have sin, that you've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel message isn't complete when we just say that, um, that you want to be in heaven with God someday, right? Well, just ask Jesus into your heart. No. Like when in testimonies, what we want to hear is that I was once lost. I was once a sinner. And then I was found. So how do you know you're a sinner? Because the law tells us that we're sinners. And friends, this is a glorious truth. When human beings come to understand by the revealed law of God that we cannot find righteousness inside ourselves, then we know that we need to find righteousness outside ourselves. The law is not the problem. The law is glorious. The ministry of death and condemnation is glorious. It's not the problem. It's the human heart that's the problem. God gave you and me the pinnacle of his creation, the law, and we have broken it from the very beginning. The law isn't the error. It isn't the problem. The, the problem is lawbreakers. For all lawbreakers, there will be judgment as a result of the glory of God. So Paul can rightly say that the law is a ministry of death, and it's what? It's glorious. 
If there was glory in this ministry of condemnation, then how much more glorious, he says, is there in the ministry of righteousness? In the ministry that, that tells us that the perfect law keeper would shine his glory on you and me, the imperfect and unrighteous lawbreakers. Let me give you an illustration of what he means that, that, the, um, that the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of righteousness um, will surpass, the glory of those two will surpass the glory of the ministry of death or the ministry of con uh, condemnation. He's, have, have any of you ever like backcountry skied or snowshoed or hiked in the fullness of the moon? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, you can see everything. Like, you don't need a flashlight. You don't need a headlamp. When the morning comes, though, and the peak of the sun pokes up over the horizon, and that big ball of yellow shows up, you know what disappears? The brightness of the moon. When the sun has risen, you can no longer see the glory of the moon, but it's still there but no longer glorious in comparison to the surpassing glory of the brightness and warmth of the sun. You see, the glory of Moses, the glory of the law, is pointing to a more glorious Jesus. And when Moses is pointing to a more glorious ministry of righteousness, don't just stare at his finger, but stare at what he's pointing at. The ministry of righteousness the ministry of the righteous one who perfectly obeyed the law of God. Look to the perfect one who died a lawbreaker's death so that we would live a life of freedom. Look to the one who came, who for our sake became sin, the one who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the ministry of condemnation is swallowed up in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us this in Romans 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment that Jesus was condemned. He was judged so that you would never be condemned, even in your sin. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh. He came in human form and he came for our sin. He was condemned in the flesh on the cross in order that the righteous requirement of the law, what's the requ righteous requirement of the law? That God is just, he's holy, that all sin must be punished. Nobody gets a pass. So Jesus took our sin. He was punished so that those who by faith in Christ have the Spirit of God in them will never be punished. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. We no longer walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. Jesus came to establish a new covenant through his perfect obedience, through his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. But the new covenant, hear me on this, does not do away with the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that I came not to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it. Paul said then that we don't overthrow the law by faith. We uphold the law. 
And finally, here we'll finish up in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Back in verses 2 through 3, Paul said that the Corinthian believers are his letter of recommendation from Christ, written by the Holy Spirit. And he says, by God's grace, we delivered the gospel that enlivened the dead hearts of the church in Corinth. And he went on to say, by God's grace, we loved you well, we served you well. But he's not pounding his chest. He's not beating his drum. He says it's all by God's grace. We're not sufficient for any of this. It's the Spirit of God working through us that accomplished all of it. We're not sufficient. We can't change dead hearts. We're, pro we're proclaimers of the gospel. We've talked about this last week. Um, one of the most mind-blowing, simple um, parables in God's Word is the parable of the sower, where, where uh, Jesus is talking about, he's given an analogy of spreading the gospel, and he, and he uses a farmer, a farmer who, who tills the soil, plants the seeds, and waters it. And you remember what the farmer does next? He goes to sleep. The work is God's. We have work to do, but the work of salvation is God's. The work of transformation is God's. Paul had nothing to offer outside of Christ. He was made a minister of the Holy Spirit by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in joyful obedience to all that God commands. If you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, you will have an increasing desire and an increasing ability to live in accordance to the law in response to the love of God, being compelled by the love of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. So let me slide into communion here um, and ask you this question. Are you still trying to measure up to God's law? Are you striving to live according to a list of standards, biblical or not, hoping that you be saved or that God might love you more? Paul calls this the ministry of death. And who I'm speaking to right now is anybody that might be here, anybody that's listening on YouTube that is trying to be good enough, that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul calls this, uh, this trying to obey God's word um, without the spirit um, in you. It's, he calls it the ministry of death because it's impossible to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God, and it will end in eternal separation from God. So if this describes you at any level, my encouragement is to keep trying. Actually, never shared the gospel this way before, but keep trying. And what you're going to find is that your shame and guilt is going to increase and that you're going to be no closer to the mark with all you're trying today and tomorrow than you were last week. And I pray that by trying that you'll see the only way to salvation is through faith in the perfect law keeper who died for your sin. And for my dear brothers and sisters in Christ that are part of this church, are you growing in your desire to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God as your spiritual worship? Are you living your life in submission to the Holy Spirit? Are you weak so that Christ's strength and power can be manifest through you? We've become, church, over-familiar with the truths that we talked about today, and we've forgotten <laughs> that God's law is written on our heart, that we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who conquered us by his love, and that this life we're walking in this triumphal procession, being led by the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the lover of our hearts. And so we're going to celebrate communion today. And P.S., we're going to celebrate communion next, next week as well. And um, communion, the, the Lord's Supper, um, that Jesus says to, he said to practice this until I return. And why did he say that? Because he knows that truth leaks, that we just go throughout our days um, and just consume with all the all the life, all the good and the challenging that life has. And we forget the miracle of salvation. We forget that when we were once um, dead in our sins and trespasses, that by His mercy, He made us alive in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you, let me read um, 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul reminds us of the purpose of communion. And then I'm going to just ask you to take just a few minutes and take it on your own. Paul said, For I received from the Lord which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body. It's given for you. Eat this bread in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. This is the cup of the new covenant. And by the way, there's only two places in all the New Testament that new covenant is mentioned. The passage we just taught on, and then right here. He took the cup of the new covenant that was established with his blood. And he said, drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So can I encourage you just at your seats, if you're here with somebody else, um, just take a couple of minutes, pray together, um, maybe uh, confess your sin together. Um, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, this, we're glad you're here, but this is not for you, um, unless maybe right here the Lord has arrested your heart and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But just take a few minutes, take the bread, take the the uh, the juice and then uh, Chase will lead us in song in a few minutes. <laughs>